Hey everyone, good to see you this afternoon. I'm sorry I've still got my jacket on, but the, the heating is not working here today either, so um, we've had a bit of a time of it. So I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to keep my jacket on. I'm not as hardcore as some of these other guys. Lewis just had his jumper on. Unbelievable. Uh, Naomi has very wisely put her hat back on. Well done, Naomi. Good effort. Uh, your story is not isolated. The story of your life is tied to a greater story. I love the film Forrest Gump. It's based on a novel by Winston Groom, and it's about this man, I'm sure you've seen it, who is pretty simple. He's got an IQ of 75, but he's really endearing. There's something, something about him, you, just, you can't keep your eyes off him, you love him, and you, you just want to keep watching more about what's going on in his life. But one of the things I really love about it is that it's not really a story just about his own personal story. It's telling a greater story, a bigger story, a story about America. 30 years of American history, of culture wars, of race integration in the South, the changes in popular music, the moon landing, the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, JFK's assassination, the rise of consumerism, devastating hurricanes, the drug epidemic, HIV, and all the while, it's all about this simple guy, Forrest, who never knows what he's going to get. It's a story within a story, and our stories are within a story too. Each of us is part of a grand narrative, a narrative that began with us being made in God's image as the pinnacle of his creation, as people he loved and people who decided to pursue something of their own glory instead of his, and it had devastating consequences. It's ruined the world, and it's ruined much of what our lives could have looked like. It's ruined everything, really. And yet, God doesn't give up on us. In fact, he chooses a people to be a people for himself, and he makes promises with them. And although they couldn't keep their promises, Israel, but he still loved them, and he still kept his promise to them. And he kept going and kept going and kept going with loving them and loving them and loving them despite their lack of love for him. Each story, each piece of the law, each part of the wisdom literature that we have, the prophecies, all point forward from the Old Testament to one coming to bring a new kingdom who will restore all things. The king is coming. Each night, I read the Bible with Annabelle, or Lindsay Will, and uh, our favorite of the Bible uh, versions that we have for Annabelle is the Jesus Storybook Bible. You might have read through it before, and at the end of most of the stories, it says that in every story, no, wait, I'm going to do that again, because I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. Every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name. And I just love that. Every story whispers his name. So as you go through the Bible, there's, these, there's hundreds of stories. But actually, every story in the Bible is telling this greater story, this big story of God's love for us and him coming to rescue his people and bring them home. And in some way, every parable is about the kingdom of God. The parables, probably more than any other type of stories, are about this kingdom, this 
coming kingdom, this kingdom that has come and is breaking in and is advancing and one day will be complete, this greater story. And so we, over the next eight weeks, are going to be looking at different parables that particularly focus on the kingdom of God, that are most explicitly about the kingdom of God, and we're going to explore their greater story, the story of Jesus the King and his incredible kingdom. So, before Matthew and I uh, get going with a great banquet, the first of these parables that we are going to look at, let me just give you a really quick explanation of why Jesus even spoke in parables. But helpfully, Matthew 13 describes that Jesus' disciples straight up asked him, How do you, why do you speak in parables? That might be a question you're asking now. Why parables? And what he says isn't what you might expect. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I, I want to make it really easy for everyone. And stories are just such easy listening. And I just, I just find people connect so well with me when I use stories. So I tell parables. That's not what he says. No, he even says that he is deliberately speaking in mysteries. So what's going on? In that passage in Matthew 13, Jesus quotes God's words to the prophet Isaiah. He recounts a moment when Isaiah, of unclean lips, has the angel of the Lord touch his lips, and they are made holy, ready for him to fulfill his calling as a prophet. He says, here I am, send me. And here's what God says in return. He says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. So, Jesus quotes this passage because these parables that he tells are wonderful stories that reveal the kingdom of God, but they don't only open eyes to the kingdom of God, they also close eyes to the kingdom of God. They blind people to the kingdom of God. We're going to find out more about that in a few weeks when we talk through uh, that passage that it's taken from uh, about uh, different soils, different seeds. But until then, we should bear that in mind. That Isaiah and Jesus both preached salvation and judgment. And people are going to respond in two ways to the kingdom of God. The Bible does not teach, pick Jesus if you want. Like he's a pretty good option. But if you don't, don't worry about it. There's other good options. No, no, that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's life and death. There's blessing or curse. There's mercy or judgment. And the parables embody that. Jesus came as the ultimate prophet, the final prophet. Some will hear him and their eyes will widen, their ears will perk up, and they will turn to God with overwhelming joy. But some will hear these parables and they will cover their ears, close their eyes, and pretend it's not true. That's the context of our passage today. We're in Luke 14. Jesus is at a dinner party, and then he tells two par parables about dinner parties. And um, 
Luke's grouping these parables together with some other stories that tell us that we are being called into the kingdom of God, but entering into the kingdom of God is to go through the narrow door. Our role, then, as we explore these parables, is to soften, not harden our hearts. It's to hear with our ears, not dull them. It's to see with our eyes, not close them. Today, uh, we're going to do things a bit differently, Matty and I. So Matty's going to come on up, and um, we're going to read the passage together. If you don't know who Matty is, Matty was a part of Glasgow Grace before he uh, disappeared off to Dundee, and we miss him. We miss you, Matty. Miss you too. Sniff, sniff. <laughs> um, but you're up in Dundee, really worker there, um, which really means that you are working with students in order to help them to tell other students about Jesus, right? Ultimately. Great. Well, we're so glad you're here. Um, so we're going to read from Luke 14, 7 through 24. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may be invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you order has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Lord, we, we love you. We are so thankful for your word. God, would you bless us this afternoon? Would you speak to us and have our lives change? Would we understand it? Would we have our ears hear and not be dulled? Come speak through Matty uh, in great power. Speak through me, we pray, uh, not in any way because of us, but by the power of your Holy Spirit working in hearts. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
What comes to mind when you think of meals or dinners with people? Do you think of where you'll have it? Do you think if you'll be the host or the guest? Do you think who's going to be there? What food will there be? Is it for a special occasion? Meals are so important to us, and surprisingly, they can reveal a lot about our hearts, about how we view ourselves, and about how we view God. Tim Chester says, meals can be a visual representation of our hearts. If our hearts are concerned for position, honor, status, or approval, then that will be reflected in our dining etiquette. Jesus here tells two parables at the same dinner party on the Sabbath to a group of Pharisees. The first parable is a message for the guests that show. The second parable is a message for the guests that don't show. But why does he tell these parables? Well, let's first look at the parable of the wedding feast in verses 7 to 11. Weddings and wedding feasts in first century Israel were very different to what we have today. Whereas at most wedding meals today, you might be seated based on who you're friends with or who your family are. In contrast, first century Israel, wedding feasts, the seats were based on positions of hierarchy of honor and reputation. And Jesus used this analogy of a wedding feast because he noticed the guests at the dinner he was at had picked the places of honor. They had jostled for the best seats. They were putting others down. They were wanting to have the seats of highest honor, the seats where they would have all the respect, all the acclaim. They picked the seats of honor for themselves. So what advice did Jesus have for these Pharisees? Well, he tells them, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. And he explains why in verse 9. The host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. Jesus is showing the Pharisees that pride leads to humiliation. They wanted to be humili- exalted, but they will be humiliated. We see this elsewhere in the Bible. We see it at the fall, where Adam and Eve's pride caused them to try and grasp equality with God, but it ends in humiliation as they are cast out from Eden and they are cast out from God's presence. What Jesus is essentially reminding the Pharisees of is one of the key themes of Proverbs, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. The Pharisees' pride here is preventing them from receiving God's grace. And it's no wonder, C.S. Lewis says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Now I want to ask you, how do you relate to the Pharisees? What do you think of them? Are you like, oh, what a bunch of arrogant, smug, pumped-up idiots? Or do you see a bit of yourself in them? Now, I used to always read these passages and laugh at the stupidity of the Pharisees. I'm like, how stupid and big-headed are they? Thank goodness I am not like that. But actually, I am so often like the Pharisees. For example, in the past, whenever I've been up the front speaking somewhere, I've often approached it arrogantly and egotistically. I'm thinking, oh, I hope these people think I'm great. I hope they see that I'm intelligent, that I'm funny, that I can speak really well. And it was all about me and me wanting people to think I'm great. I am often the Pharisee. I often want to be exalted. I want people to think I'm great, and I want all the adulation. And it's painful, but we have to be willing to see the Pharisee in ourselves. We need to confess our pride and humbly call out to God in desperation and in faith and receive the wonderful grace that he gives. And Jesus shows us the result of humility in verses 10 to 11. He says, Take the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all other guests, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That phrase, those who humble themselves will be exalted, Jesus lived that out perfectly. 
In Philippians 2, Paul tells us of Christ our Savior's perfect example of humility through his mission from heaven to earth. It's a trajectory that Jesus had been on since the beginning of time that was always going to lead him to the cross. He came lowly into a stable. He died a humiliating death and was brought so low that he'd even be carried into a tomb so that we could be lifted up from death to resurrection life with him. Jesus the Messiah's humility leads gloriously to his exaltation. He will be the name above every name. And if we know Jesus today, his humility leads to exaltation for us, but only because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God at the place of highest honor. He humbled himself for us and we can be exalted with him. So how will we be exalted? What will this exaltation look like? Well, our ultimate exaltation is in eternity where we will reign with Jesus, our savior forever. What greater exaltation could there be than that? Now let's take a look at the second parable where Jesus responds to what the Pharisee says in verse 15 by telling a story of a host announcing to his invited guests that his great banquet is ready. And here we come across three excuses from three people that decline the offer of going to the banquet. The first excuse is from someone who says, we've just bought a field and they must go and see their field. The second excuse is from someone who's just bought oxen and they must try them out. But for both of these excuses, there's absolutely no rush for these things. They could have waited a few days. We can often see through people's lies and we can see through their lies here. These excuses are not genuine excuses. And for the third excuse, the person says, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, of course, with marriage comes new obligations and responsibilities, but they're not cancel their prior commitments to banquets like these. And this is sadly another poor excuse. So what do these excuses share in common? What they share in common is the fact they didn't go to the banquet because they thought they had better things to do. For some, it was work. For another, it was family. They missed out on the great banquet, a glorious feast, because they were busy with the daily routines of life. Now remember, Jesus here is telling this parable in response to this Pharisee who assumes in verse 15 that by his good works, he will enter the kingdom of God. Now the Pharisees, they were outwardly doing good things, but doing good things is not enough to get into the kingdom. They didn't miss out on the great banquet because they weren't good enough. No one is good enough. No one can earn their place at the banquet. But Jesus, he lived a perfect life. So the only requirement to feast at the great banquet, the kingdom of God for us, is to humbly accept his invitation to come. And sadly, these people didn't. And why? Because they were so preoccupied with doing good. On a slightly different note, think of in a non-COVID world, when someone you don't know super well asks if you're free on a night next week, and you don't get back to them straight away because you kind of hope something better is going to come up. And then a couple of days' time, something really exciting comes up on that same night, and someone asks you if you're free, and you're like, yeah, I'm free, totally count me and I'm going to come. And then you get back to that person that initially asked if you're free that night and say you're no longer free. We decline things if we think something better might come up. And sadly, I must admit that I did this at uni on more than one occasion. I at times decline people's invitations because I hope something better would come up. We turn things down when we think something better might come up. Do you do that to God? Do we prioritize work, friends, fun over God just in case something better comes up? Do we avoid committing to serving at church just in case something better comes up? And what Jesus is saying here, that for us to prefer something else 
then to entering the house of God is the ultimate form of pride. And it's that pride that keeps us from the great banquet. When we don't go to the banquet, what we are saying is, I know better than God. What we are saying is, my ways are better than his ways. John Piper has a great quote on this, and he says, For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. So do we let trivial things of life get in the way of God? What good things are you doing that are keeping you from God? Do we say that my ways are better than his ways? So how should we respond to his invitation to go to the great banquet? Well, we should joyfully remember his perfect example of humility, how he laid everything aside, humbly obeying his father. We should put our pride to death and humbly go and join him at the great banquet, the kingdom of God. So good. And your uh, jumper in your shoes matched as well. It's very impressive. Well done. Uh, well, in verse 12, Jesus takes a short break from speaking in parables, and he, he speaks plainly to the host. It seems that the host had invited, invited people that would progress his own social status that might help him on in the world. Apart from two people, Jesus and the person that he sits in front of Jesus, the person when he's healing, so that they might trap him and cause him to be a Sabbath-breaking, law-breaking, terrible person. That's what, that's what they wanted him to look like. And so even Jesus, who didn't have a place to lay his head, and this man who didn't have much going on in his world were invited out of self-interest to make themselves look good. And this preacher, this rabbi who challenged them not look quite so good. This banquet is a schmoozing opportunity. It's a relational marketing event for the promotion of self. The host was about advancing his own place in the world, only concerned with others when it made him look good. All of us, like Matthew says, fall into this trap of being Pharisee-like. I think often we do. We read these stories and we think, I'm not the Pharisee, I'm the other guy. But often we are the Pharisee. We are the strong ones overlooking, marginalizing, rejecting and excluding the weak in some horrible form that we actually justify by some kind of self-righteous excuse. Think about how you organize your social life. Oh, life's busy. Work's hard. You know, when I get to a Friday night or a Saturday night, I, I just need to be with people who are like-minded, who I find easy company, 
Saturday nights should be with people who can make me laugh. People who drink nice wine, who drink the same things that I drink, who like the same food that I, I like. People who say thanks. People who actually invite me back. And you know what? I just want to be with people who see the world like I see the world. I can't be bothered. If they think differently from me, I'm not going to hang out with them on a Saturday night. But I've got a hard life, you know. You know what? Maybe you might turn to your husband or your wife if you're married, or a friend or somebody who you love to hang out with, maybe a best friend, and you might turn to them and say, should we just hang out together every night of the week? Because these other people, pretty hard work, aren't they? Can't really be bothered with that. My love, should we, should we just have date night together every night of the week? Our supposed generosity often looks like this self-interested host. That's the truth. It comes with strings attached. The subtle motivation of our hearts is to do things for self-gain or make us feel better about ourselves. So what do we do? What do we do about that? If we're honest with ourselves, we probably all have something of that struggle. So what do we do? Do we just try harder at being generous? No, Jesus shows us, as part of the second parable, starting in verse 21, that this kind of generosity has already been given to us, and that must be the source of our own generosity. If we want to be genuinely generous people, it doesn't begin with trying hard to be a generous person. It begins with receiving the grace of God again and again and again. The master who represents God in the greater story here calls his servant who represents Jesus in the greater story. He says to invite the poor crippled, the blind, and the lame in from the streets. But even when he does that, even when the servant goes out and does that, he comes back to his master and he says, it's still not full. The house isn't full. Okay, well, go back out. And he says go back out not, I think, because the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame were making excuses. No, I think it's because they didn't believe that a master of a grand house would really invite them. That's why the master says to compel them to come. He's saying that they will need persuaded, persuaded that they are really wanted by such a prestigious host. That's how the humble view the invite of God. And you need to know that God really does want you. He comes to you with all his generous ways. Hear that message. Don't close your ears to that. God wants you around his table. So much so that Jesus, the servant, was willing to humble himself and go to the cross on your behalf. Uh, You might have seen this story this week. A waitress in a juice bar in Florida had to do a bit of a double take when a regular customer, just after New Year, left a tip of $2,021. And with the tip, there's a little note that says, Happy New Year. And at first, 
the waitress thinks, oh, she's got this wrong. She's got, I need, to, I need to phone her up because she's just left $2,021 for us. No, 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 she must have meant $20.21. Some people do that. They forget to, that there's, you've got to put in the decimal point. She's just missed it. She didn't believe her. But when she calls her up, she says, yeah, I meant it. This is for you. Enjoy. I love coming here. $2,021 at the beginning of 2021. Do you think that way about God's invite? Do you doubt it? Oh, he, he can't possibly have really met me. Sure, he, he died for the world in general, sure, in some way, but not me. No, no. He meant it. God has given himself in full so you can receive in full. He has welcomed you to his banquet, banquet, to his everlasting table. Do you need persuaded that God loves you? Do you need compelled? Well, Jesus has come to compel you. He's gone to the cross so that you would come. Be with him. Be with your father around the table forever. There's a direct line between enjoying the grace of God, understanding this extraordinary generosity of God that he keeps showering on you because he loves you so much. There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. There's a direct line between that and being generous. When Jesus sent out the 12 on a short-term mission, he told them, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. One personal story of the pandemic, it keeps coming back to me because it speaks so clearly of the greater story is of Don Giuseppe Beraldelli. I'm sure that was pronounced beautifully. 72-year-old priest from Bergamo. His parishioners loved him. And they thought that what they would do when they heard that he had COVID and he was really sick and there was no respirators left in the hospital, they clubbed together and they bought him a respirator. He's on this respirator. He's relying on it for every breath. But there's a younger man next to him. And he sees that he needs the respirator. And he would not be convinced out of giving that respirator the younger man. He died. The priest died. The younger man survived. It's freely give, Jesus said. You will be blessed. Freely give. Freely give. The way that we freely give is to know what we've been given. To constantly go back to the one who has given us it and continues to give and to give and to give and to trust in him, to trust that you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, that you will be blessed in a coming kingdom, a kingdom that is advancing, a kingdom that is in you, a kingdom that is advancing through you, but a kingdom that will finally come and be complete. When Jesus returns, he takes you home. You come into the house and into the banquet and enjoy the feast that is eternal around God's table. 
When Jesus returns to complete his kingdom and take his place as king over the heavens and the earth, Don Giuseppe will be resurrected from the dead and receive his reward. The same will be true for you. Receive the grace of God and give yourself away as Jesus has for you. There you will discover an eternity of blessing. It can never come through the self-interested ways of the world. It's why the Apostle Paul, when he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian believers, these people he spent much time with and loved so much that he quotes this saying of Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you live by grace, you will live a life of generosity. The humble come to God to receive grace. Then they give generously and find that they are more blessed for giving than receiving. I don't know which student this was because I don't actually see who gives what at Glasgow Grace. It's just something I don't want to see because I want to genuinely love people, not be affected by that. But Johnny um, told me the story of a student in our church who during lockdown no longer needed to pay rent. Now, if you're a student, you, you think of the things you could spend that money on. Save that up for, go traveling when all this is over. Every single penny was given to the church instead of it being spent on whatever they wanted to spend it on. How do we become generous like that? and not self-interested? How do we ensure that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and of his ways? We receive grace upon grace. We see that Jesus treasures us so much that he purchased us by his blood. Those receiving grace increasingly find that they want to be generous to other people, with their time, with their effort, with their money, to people who offer them nothing in return. Why? They want to be like Jesus and how he has been with them. To live a life of generosity, keep going back to the places where you will receive grace. Prioritize prayer. Come along to this week's prayer week that we're having at Glasgow Grace starting tonight at midnight. We're doing our 24 hours of prayer. Can I encourage you, sign up to that. If you look down in the description below, there is a way in which you can sign up right now to, to come and pray and be a part of this uh, prayer week together. Prioritize time in God's Word where you can see your place in the greater story and every other story. Whatever reading plan you want to use, Use it, go for it, dig deep into his word. We've got one if you want one, but there are plenty out there as well if you'd rather do it in a different way. Prioritize time worshiping and sharing with others who want to keep receiving grace upon grace too. Grace communities are called grace communities for that reason. Get involved. Be with people who are pursuing the grace of God. Prioritize receiving teaching and instruction from the greater story that builds 
you up, that forms your story, that shapes you, makes Sundays a must. Prioritize rest in God. Make Sundays more than a day off. Rest in God. And as you receive more and more grace in these places, you will find that you will have more time for people that you find annoying. You will find it easier to give away your money. Wouldn't it be great if we could resource grace communities with staff and training with other resources to bless the areas uh, which we meet in? Wouldn't it be great to, to serve the poor more? Wouldn't it be great if we could resource that with some kind of building somewhere maybe where we can train people and gather people and pray together? It becomes easier to give to something like that the more you spend time enjoying the grace of God. Now remember, we want to hear and be compelled to come into God's house and sit at the table like the poor and not like the self-interested Pharisees. But although Jesus speaks plainly, it is likely that most of these Pharisees will hear these words not be humbled and be left standing outside the door when Jesus returns. That is what this message is saying. We have to be real with that. And we need to be honest with ourselves. We live in a rich society, one where most of us are comfortable. And we have to be aware that it's very easy to become Pharisee-like, to assume that because we believe the right things, that we are going to be okay. But have you given your heart to God? Have you received His grace? Have you really decided, I'm going to give my all to Him? Or are you in grave danger of not really hearing this message? Look at verse 24. To not taste of that eternal banquet is the greatest travesty there is. Be humbled, be compelled, receive his generous grace, find yourself increasing in generosity, and get ready to receive the blessing at the resurrection. Matty, why don't we do this? Sorry to do this. <laughs> Why don't we pray? And if you pray for what I was talking about, I pray for what you were talking about. Sounds good. Pray for, for the guys out there. Does that sound good? Great. Great. Father, we love you and we adore you. You are so good. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being so generous. Mm. We can't put into words, we can't describe how great and generous your love is for us. Mm. And Father, fill us with your spirit to be generous in response to that. Help us to live lives of radical generosity. Father, help us to evaluate our week every week Mm. and put others first, Father. Let's not put our own, ourself and our indulgence first, Father, but help us to be generous for others. Father, we Mm. want to glorify you. We want to lift your name on high. We want to see Glasgow flourish again. And Father, we pray that you will help us to be generous in that and help us to keep looking to Jesus, the true ultimate example of generosity who poured himself out for us and Mm. for your glory. 
So, Father, help us be generous. Help us to rest in you and in your yeah. grace yeah. and live lives of radical generosity for your glory and for Glasgow's good. Mm. Your son's precious name. Amen. Yeah. yeah, Lord Jesus, thank you for your incredible willingness to come and serve the King of Kings who came from heaven to earth and was willing to humble himself come our substitute. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, God, that you who were exalted has been humbled so that we can be exalted with you, so that we might be honored. Lord, we do not deserve it. Merciful God, thank you that you have come. Thank you, Lord, that we now can live in hope we can live in the grace of God. We can live with you, be with you forever. God, as we worship now, would you come and just burn in our hearts? Would you cause a fire to be set ablaze? Lord, we, we want to know you we want you to come nearer to us. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, guys, why don't you come and lead us in worship?